Hello everyone, I'm Ian McAllister. And I'm Jamie Adams, and this is Brainwaves episode 125, bringing you the best in tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of the 10th of July, 2023. Peterson Games in Palette Woes, Gizmodo welcomes their AI overlords, and Kickstarter pumps the brakes on blockchain. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. Back in July of last year, in episode 103, we reported on the apparent troubles that publisher Pearson Games found itself in. Pearson Games are the publishers of Cthulhu Wars. At the time, there was controversy over their firing of an employee, and they indicated at the time that they would likely ask for more money for backers for forthcoming projects. On a recent Kickstarter update for Cthulhu Wars The Demon Sultan, entitled The Big Update for US Backers, Arthur Peterson laid out the situation for backers. In short, uh, stock is in the EU, all on the way to Australia, held up by misprints in Canada, and as for the US, it's a bit of a longer tale, I'm afraid. Arthur Pearson is the project director for the company. He goes on to say this with regards to US fulfillment. After enough requests, we are opening the door for people to voluntarily contribute to shipping costs. Totally understand this desire. To have product in the States and not have access to it is frustrating to us as well. Here's how the numbers break down. There are 87 pallets left with backer product. 90 minus the three that already left. Gamerati will ship out full pallets. They will not do individual orders. It costs approximately $1,640 to ship the contents of each pallet. Getting an average of $55 shipping support from each backer means 100% of product will ship as fast as Gamerati can send it out. They go on to lay out that they have added pages to the website listing all the pallets and containers that the games are on. There are five containers with a total of 90 pallets in them across all the containers according to the Pearson site. Backers can contribute at $10 a time towards the cost of getting an individual pallet shipped, but as we quoted above, Peterson are looking for $55 on average per backer. They say they have had one backer want to pay $1,000 towards the costs. Peterson Games have committed to shipping six pallets a month based on their current revenue stream. Now, as far as we can tell, backers will know which pallet their game is on so can contribute directly towards getting their own copy of the game. However, one of our Discord members is a backer for the game. We have their permission to share their opinion and information. Their handle on our Discord is albronatar, A-L-L-B-R-O-N-A-T-A-R, and real name, Mihai Drogescu. Mihai backed several Peterson games at the Get Access to the Pledge Manager level, but this campaign was the only one they fully backed. Mihai has been following developments and alerted us to the following. It seems that some backers who have received their game already have been asked to contribute to pallets that supposedly contain their game. One user said they had received their pledge on the 24th of June, that it, they received the game at their house, and the details of the pallet their game is in on the 30th, being asked for money to contribute to the game they already received. In an update posted on July the 6th, 2023, Sandy Peterson said that some pallets had got, now gone out and that backers had contributed almost $12,000 to shipping. Pallets 1, 3, 7, 14, 15, 17, and 18 have shipped, and the next ones to go out are 77, 44, 30, 33, 60, and 70. House. I, don't know. I don't know why they're in that order either. <laughs> some backers responded to the update by saying they hadn't even had emails to tell them which pallet their game is on. Our Discord member Mihai had this to say about the situation. For context, I backed a few other Peterson games around the same time, at the nominal pledge manager entry fee level, but CW04 is the only one I've properly pledged for. I think I'm very firmly in the moderate camp. This and the other projects in the backlog have been poorly managed and planned from the start. 
They all claimed they were China-ready, as in the files just need to be sent to the factory, but they've undergone numerous redesigns and delays. I understand that COVID and global shipping crises have affected everyone in the hobby, but this project is so far gone that it's honestly baffling how it even got to this point. They delayed shipping to backers in order to manufacture more for retail, without actually getting the money from said retailers, which... I don't even know how that works. On the one hand, I feel for Peterson Games. They're very obviously in a very bad spot, and I feel especially bad for those who have lost their job since all this happened. But it seems they're trying to dig themselves out of a very deep hole, but they're digging in the wrong direction, and have done for some time. But we aren't done with Peterson Games quite yet. During this time when many were asking questions of Peterson Games, one of their mods on the Discord tried to answer inquiries about pallets by sharing a spreadsheet with some of the details on it. Unfortunately, this had hidden tabs on it that contained personal information of some of the backers. Peterson Games said this about the incident. Last week, US backer PII, no payment information, was accidentally exposed to our PG Discord community server. We removed the exposure as soon as it was brought to our attention and notified all members of the Discord that they must delete the sheet in question if they had downloaded it. How did this happen? When we hit the daily email cap, our volunteer Discord moderator wanted to address the various pings asking for pallet information. In an effort to give these backers a chance to locate their product, pallet, the volunteer stripped out the PII from the table used to distribute the mass emails and uploaded a version of the spreadsheet that had, to their knowledge, only three remaining columns. One with partially obscured emails, one with pallet numbers, and one with the corresponding pallet link. Unfortunately, there were two hidden tabs in file, which the volunteer should have checked for, but didn't. They, of course, feel horrible about this breach of privacy, as do I. If there is a silver lining, it is that it was in our private Discord and not on a public website, which would have had far worse implications. We've asked everyone in the Discord numerous times to delete any lingering files and will continue to do so. Now, we've covered a lot of Kickstarter news from straight down the line fraud to companies buying off more than they can chew. And this, to me, does seem to be firmly in the latter camp. Yep. I don't like, yeah, the backer offering like $1,000 to get his their one game, that seems like, why not just Dream cut your losses? At, that yeah. Just, uh, yeah, just cut your losses at this point. I mean, they're obviously a struggling company. Whether they survive beyond this Kickstarter remains to be seen. I mean, their site's still up. There's still things up there. Last time I checked, which was yesterday, the information on Pearson Games' site for all the pallets hadn't been updated. So it Yesterday would, being the 6th of July... 6th of July 2023. Yeah, thank you, Jamie. And uh, yeah, which means it's still possible to pledge to a pallet that is in the process of going out, even though they don't need the money for it anymore. It just seems very badly managed. Even if you're going down this route, which seems like a big ask from your backers, the fact that you're not really administrating properly gives me all the red flags. Just, yeah, just step away now. Just cut your losses. You're not getting your game. Sorry. Or if you will, it's going to be a long time. And hey, you know, it's Kickstarter now. You'll pay a certain amount of money, and then six to eight months down the line, they go, you mind paying us a little bit more? I mean, it's a, we've reported on a lot, and I think we're going to see a lot more companies getting tied up in knots as they try to get games to backers over the next of couple of years. But Jamie, AI is coming for us all. Well, I... I... Camille Jet said, Ian, all right, it's not coming for us all. It'll, it'll be all right. We've got a long time, trust me. Uh, now, we know what a tabletop news show, but that doesn't mean we don't keep our eye open on the wider world. And this next story, well, it's one of those stories that caught our attention. 
We've all heard about the march of AI, artificial intelligence, and programs like ChatGPT and MidJourney that are causing creative folk like us no end of concern. Don't worry. Some uh, AI art bots can't draw Garfield. So, you know, Jim Davis is secure. Now site Gizmodo, who we've shared links to in the past, has gone a step further by employing Gizmodo Bot to write an article on the chronology you should watch Star Wars in. Now, not only is that chronology just plain wrong, it's also barely an article, having no introduction at all, and just been a list of films and series in the Star Wars universe. Linda Kodega, who writes for io9, another site under the Gawker Media Group that owns Gizmodo, shared this from their writing team. For 15 years, io9 has grown an audience that demands quality coverage of genre entertainment, from critical analysis to insightful explainers, to accurate news and industry-shaping investigative reporting. These readers have grown io9 into one of the best performing desks at Gizmodo, Geo Media's flagship site in terms of traffic, and they've done so by rigorously holding this team and the colleagues that came before us to a standard of expertise and accuracy that we have been proud to achieve. The article published on io9 today rejects the very standards this team holds itself to on a daily basis as critics and as reporters. It is shoddily written, it is riddled with basic errors, and closing the comments section off, it denies our readers the lifeblood of this network, the chance to publicly hold us accountable, and to call this work exactly what it is. Embarrassing, unpublishable, disrespectful of both audience and the people who work here, and a blow to our authority and integrity. It is shameful that this work has been put to our audience and to our peers in the industry as a window to Geo's future. And it is shameful that we as a team have had to spend an egregious amount of time away from our actual work to make it clear to you the unacceptable errors made in publishing this piece. It is signed by all members of the io9 writing team, including the deputy editor. Now, since this statement, Gizmodo has not responded and has left the article up. Now, thank you very much to Gavin Jones from our Discord for bringing this to our attention. I really don't know what to add to this apart from, well media companies are going to do this and yeah. trying to streamline, I say streamline, but try and cut down on the amount of humans they need to pay and in or, you know, to, to work, to create stories. Um, I was going to make some sort of political point, but I, do you know what? I don't feel like I need to. I think it just speaks for itself, doesn't it? I do wonder why they made it quite so obvious. Like they had the byline as Gizmodo Bot. Why not make up a name or something? And yeah. It, it just seems a bit, like, brazen, I think is the word I'm looking for. And I, I do wonder if they did it for that reason, to, like, draw attention to it. I, I don't know. It's it's just, it's a bit weird. The whole I thing. Say there's yeah, no such thing as sad. It is a bad, it is a bad article. I was about to say there's no such thing it. as bad publicity. Something like that. But so, yeah, something like that. I don't know. Talking about companies that came in for bad publicity, in 2021, Kickstarter announced its intention to move a lot of the back-end architecture of that company to a blockchain model. The intention at the time was to decentralize some of the software that runs the platform, but it was unclear how this would benefit backers or creators on the platform, and it led to a mass exodus of both from Kickstarter. Now, it seems that Kickstarter are walking back from this stance. Confirming to website Polygon on Thursday the 29th, Kickstarter said they are not committed to moving Kickstarter to the blockchain. This followed a news post on the 22nd that brought to a close the inaugural Community Council. In the news post, Kickstarter thanked the council members and said that because of their feedback, they would now be focusing on the core business and needs of our creative community. Participants in the council came from all sorts of backgrounds, including the world of gaming. Kickstarter further clarified their stance to Polygon. 
where we are focused and deeply committed is on our core business and making Kickstarter better. This is why we've prioritized finding ways to give creators access to the pledge management and digital marketing tools they need to be successful during and after their campaign period. The creation of the Community Advisory Council was actually born out of the feedback we received about the blockchain protocol. We saw a need to create another surface for feedback and conversation within our community so they could be involved in our direction and our decision making. Not just about the protocol, but about all the topics that are top of mind for us and our community. We hope to continue this dialogue with our second cohort of the Council this fall. I'm just going to jump in right here, Ian. Are we? I'm shocked. Shocked, I tell you. Shocked. It seems really, considering the amount of controversy around their announcement to move Kickstarter back into the blockchain, it seems weird that they need to be into the blockchain. The back end of the, Sorry. Of the software into, into blockchain tech. It seems weird that they needed the community council to tell them that as well. Mm. I, I'm glad that that council did and that they listened to them. And what, what seems to be that they're doing with the community council is the community council is in there for a year, each of the people who hold those positions. And then they're like refreshing every year to get a new bunch in, which seems like quite a good idea if they are actually listening to them, which it seems like they kind of are. So good, but also... Yeah. Also, like blockchain and cryptocurrency, NFT, all that kind of stuff has taken a bit of a massive downturn in terms of like popularity and announcements. People are understanding a bit, well, yeah. a bit more about it. But even if they don't understand it, you're seeing who are the people that are touting it, who are the people that are yeah. shouting to the walls, who are the people that are using it, and it has already been used in far right, yeah. neo, those people. We can say it. Far right and neo Nazi. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a it's a good turn from Kickstarter, and hopefully they will be back on course now and actually pay attention to what actually makes the, the platform work. But we'll see, I'm sure. But enough of that. On to the rest of the news. Yeah, Jamie, the One Ring—it's been found, discovered. Yes. Waffles, man. You should do this entire article in that voice. No, because I'm <laughs> no, going to have a voice for tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. On the last podcast, we reported on the search for the coveted One Ring, One of One card from the latest Magic the Gathering set called mm. Lord of the Rings, Tales of Middle-Earth. Oh, I thought it was something else. Um, the One Ring card is available as a regular card in packs, but this version of it has only had one copy printed. Quite literally, this is the One Ring. Well, Sauron will be happy because the card has been pulled from a pack in Canada on the 30th of June. It has been graded as Gem 9, which is one of the highest grade of Gem 10. It was graded by a company called Professional Sports Authenticator, which is a division of Collectors Universe Inc. This is a company based in Santa Ana, California, who grade all sorts of collector's items from baseball cards to Super Nintendo games. Now, this grading indicates the card has some minor flaw or imperfection, which could be a result of printing rather than mishandling by the owner. The search for the One Ring has caused a frenzy over the collector's booster boxes that potentially held the coveted jewellery. Boxes were going for around $518 just before the card was found, about twice what they normally would, according to site Polygon and writer Charlie Thiel. The card was pulled in Whitby, Ontario at Maximum Cards and Collectibles. It is now apparently in possession of Dave and Adams, a New York reseller of cards. Now, they've been offering $1 million for the card, but a Spanish game store has recently offered over $2 million. I believe we covered that last time. Now, according to the Polygon article that we pulled this from, the owner is now entertaining serious bids of over $1 million through a law firm. Now, 
I was reading more of this Polygon article about this, and it suggests that the basically not being Gem 10 perfect was probably due to printing errors, like not nothing to do with uh, mishandling by the owner, because so many cards, even if you pull them straight off the pack, like straight into, you know, protective Lucite or something, the printing could just be ever so slightly off, even for a one-of-one one card. Uh, and it's a weird foil card as well, so there's more possibilities for the foil to have gone wrong in some way or form. Yeah, but, yeah. so it's... it's before people going, oh my goodness, it's a unique card and it's one-off perfect. Yeah, it's one-off perfect, which is still pretty flipping perfect. Yeah, I mean, Wizards got a wonder from this, didn't they? They got a lot of publicity. Oh boy, and, so much publicity. And one lucky owner gets a life-changing amount of money, but I mean, now, I, do a have a, I do have a concern there. Like, why is that? How different is that from the lottery? Basically. Uh, because it's not going to the lottery fund, it's going to Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> Oh, good. Uh, I would I would like to point out though, saying a lot of money might not be as much money as you expect because the article published on the thirtieth of June by Charlie Hall in Polygon has said, <clears throat> and I'm going to quote here: "Early reporting seemed to show that the owner of the one ring card who wishes to remain anonymous is currently in Ontario, Canada, and has secured the services of an attorney. And that's a great first step." Representatives from Ontario Tax Services and Argyle Tax Service told Polygon by telephone because they now need to establish the provenance of the card. If the card was purchased at a store as part of a blind pack of cards, which in all likelihood it was, then the sale of that card will likely be considered a capital gain. The same Canadian tax laws apply regardless of whether or not the card came from the purchase of a single pack, roughly $12.99, or a box of packs, which crested $518 at launch on June 23rd. Once sold, Canada's progressive rate then goes into effect, making 50% of the sale taxable at 49%. There you go, folks. When you get a big card like that, it won't necessarily be as much as you think. Yeah. That's uh, just for a bit of quick maths. If this $2 million sale goes through, the Canadian government gets $980,000 of that. I'm sure they'll be very appreciative. The Any Awards have rolled around once more with a list of the 2023 nominees. Uh, this has just been announced on the day of recording, the 7th of July 2023. The NA Awards are a fan-based set of accolades given out once a year to RPG designers, artists, writers and publishers, and they're a spin-off from RPG-focused site EN World. Their awards cover a large number of categories, including Best Adventure, Best Cartography, Best Electronic Book, and many more besides. Now, we're not going to go through the whole list, as there are five nominees per category and 23 different categories, but I've pulled out a couple of that caught my eye. Free League make a frequent appearance with nominations for Vassin, Mythic Britain, and Ireland, and the new Blade Runner RPG. The star set especially gets a couple of accolades. The enormous Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Enemy Within Special Edition, the new re-release from Cubicle 7, that gets a nomination under Best Production Values. Rowan, Rook, and Deckard also get a nomination under Best Production for the Die RPG. That's based on the Kieran Gill uh, comic books. There are loads of different types of games and products getting to have their moment, which is really nice to see. Congratulations to all the nominees. We'll yeah, fantastic. The show notes. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that. Also, Ian, how come everyone's taken my award stuff now? I guess I've just, you know, I take some time away and I'm just not the awards guy anymore. I just had to knock you down the, the sort of pecking order a bit. Sorry. Yeah. Just now, I, yeah, I would love to play The Enemy Within for Wifrit Warmer Fantasy Roleplay at some point. However, A, it's big. 
B, it's okay. long. And C, it's really long. Yeah, I mean, I got, I ran most, I ran about half of Enemy Within. I got to the Middenheim book and then stopped because it was a bear yeah. to run. Apparently, the the new edition has does come with like guides that apparently help. They do. They, they do. So one of my friends my... Has got one of my friends has got it, and we're talking about running it as a two GM thing. But oh, yeah. don't don't tempt don't tempt me, Ian. I have also heard that they have changed one of the less popular parts of it. There's a original run that was something called something rotten in Kislev. Yeah, where the cats had to go to Kislev, and apparently that's been changed to I think it's called some either Shadow of the Horned Rat or just the Horned Rat, uh, which is apparently a lot better because something wrong in Kislev was apparently kind of rubbish. I do not know, but anyway, it's out there. If you want to, if you want to commit yourself to the enemy within, it is back, and you can go run it in the lovely new edition from Cubicle Seven. Yeah. Anyway, Jamie Game Crafters getting into a new thing. Okay, sure, Ian. GameCrafter is a US-based company that provides components for folk to prototype their games and also make small-run games through their printing services. They print cards, boards, all sorts of game-related objects, and now they're expanding the business and getting into warehousing games. From the testimonials they have on the site, it sounds like they've been doing this for a few clients already, but now the service is being opened up to the public at large. The services on offer include pallet storage, inventory management alongside domestic and international shipping. This is cool. Small company, company that caters to smaller games, and now expanding for shipping, which is, and warehousing, which is a big, big issue and a big thing. Yeah, one of the testimonials is from Thunderwork Games. So they're doing it for like reasonably sort of mid sized companies. So yeah, they've obviously got. What does Thunderworks Games do, Ian? Thunderwork Games, they make role player and cartographers and all the games in the role player universe. There's a new one coming up that I can't remember the name of. Uh, but all those games, yeah, so that's Thunderwork Games. Hand uh, in your games journalist card at the front door. I know, my memory, memory isn't perfect. Sue me. Oh, I will. Hatchet Board Games USA has announced that Danny Lowe is leaving the marketing manager position. Lowe was one of the early staff members at the company. Posted on Twitter, Danny said, Long story short, I was presented with a new opportunity that has me excited and inspired, but that announcement is secret for a couple more weeks. I leave the Hashit board game team with nothing but love and appreciate their support the past few weeks as I've been transitioning responsibilities. Best of luck in the new job, Danny. And it does sound like they've got someone else in the position taking over if Danny has been transitioning over to someone else for those responsibilities. Uh, yeah, best of luck for the future. Yes. Now, Chaosium, the publishers of the Call of Cthulhu RPG and the 7th C 2nd Edition RPG, have been having issues with their Canadian fulfilment. They posted this thread on Twitter on the 29th of June. TLDR, we had to suspend our Canadian fulfilment centre operations due to poor service and lack of communication from our local partner in Canada. We have not opened a replacement yet. Chaosium has invested significant time and money setting up fulfillment warehouses across the world, covering about 85% of our main customers, something that is not easy for a company our size. Last December, we announced we regretfully had to suspend our Canadian fulfillment centre operations. This was due to poor service and lack of communication from our local partner in Canada. We fully refunded all customers whose orders were in the backlog of unshipped items. Since then, we've actively looked at new options for Canadian fulfillment and have identified several potential companies who could take on this role. Unfortunately, though, we're still attempting to get our inventory back from the existing Canadian warehouse. This has proven to be frustratingly slow, but we do need to close the loop on that before switching to a new Canadian fulfillment centre. We know this is not in the news our Canadian fans would like to hear, and we apologise. 
Please note our two Canadian distributors, Universal and Line Rampant, are in no way affected by the situation. They both order directly from a US warehouse and fulfillment company, Bang Sheridan. This means our products continue to be available at Canadian retail outlets. Please also note our existing chaos and fulfillment centers in the United States, United Kingdom, Australia, and EU Poland are unaffected. If you order direct from chaosim.com, the PDF is included in the price. Fulfillment centers deal with customers directly, whereas distributors deal business to business. And this is once again proof that this stuff is hard. I mean, even big companies, companies, you know, with severe clout, Chaosium is not a small company. Even they can run into big problems. Just a little update for jobs, opportunities, and events. Just a reminder that the Facebook group Tabletop Jobs exists, and you can go and look at that. It's mostly US-based, but there are some UK jobs in there as well. We don't have anything specific to highlight at the moment. Uh, one event that's coming up that you might want to be interested in, though, is Bez's Leading Party. Bez is the designer of many, many games, including Bubble Plus Plus and In a Bind. They are heading for Pastures New. They're holding a leaving party in August, and it's happening in the Marriott Hotel in Milton Keynes from the 11th to the 13th of August. It'll be full of games and fun, and you're invited along. Details in the link we will provide, and you can get in touch with Bez for a discount on the price of attending, but you'll need to book your own hotel room. So yes. hopefully you can make it along and say goodbye to a prolific designer. Prolific designer, wonderful human being. And speaking of wonderful human beings... A big thank you to our patrons on Patreon, James Naylor and Sean Newman, and our new Patreon patron, Kevin Bertram from Fort Circle Games. Thank you very much, Kevin Bertram. Thank you very much, Kevin. Coming in at the executive producer level, we really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Very, very appreciate it. And if you like what you're listening to, drop us a few coins, please, if you want. I mean, obviously you don't have to, but if you'd like, you know, Helps us out. Support us. Metallic dice games. You know, if you like dice, if you like metal, if you like the two together, what's not to like, you know? Use the promo code ROLLWITHBRAINS at metallicdicegames.com. Okay, we've got money off. Metallic dice games, shiny, shiny rocks. And I believe we still have some t-shirts at Sir Meeple. I really want one, a couple of the, actually, no, I have one or two of those t-shirts and they are gorgeous. I want some more. They're nice. And I can wear them about and... They look cool. And also, I'm like, I'm representing the podcast. Yeah. And you'll look cool. Everyone will look cool in those. Everyone will look real cool. So join us in looking cool. Stop going on about being cool, Jamie. Get to the Monopoly news. That's what everybody wants. But my mom says I'm cool. It only seems like yesterday that the Hassenfeld brothers Herman, Hillel, and Henry started selling textiles in Providence, Rhode Island, all the way back in December 1923. Since then, the company has grown and taken much more items of business, and now trades under the name Hasbro. Well, this year will be a hundred years, and many, many games, toys, and intellectual properties are well under the Hasbro belt. Now, what could you make to celebrate the centenary of such a prolific company? What else? 
but a version of Monopoly. Yep, that's right. Monopoly Hasbro 100 takes the game we all know and presumably love and turns the properties into Hasbro-led IPs, including Nerf, G.I. Joe, Scrabble, and Magic the Gathering. And, of course, of course, Monopoly takes pride of place in the spot usually reserved for Mayfair or Boardwalk if you are American. Now, for pieces, play as classic toys such as a My Little Pony, a Mr. Potato Head, a Peppa Pig, or a Tonka Truck. A couple more. And you can build Lincoln Log cabins and Littlest Pet Shops in place of houses and hotels. That's right. There is uh, The board is very gorgeous. It's got some lovely kind of custom illustrated artwork that has about 90 Hasbro brands on it. But uh, one for the Hasbro lover, i got to say. Making a Monopoly version of your own brands is um, narcissistic. <laughs> yeah. But also, Hasbro have done things like the slowest game of Monopoly ever. <laughs> yeah, don't remind me. I think we reported on that one. We did. There was also Monopoly Socialism. Oh, yes. Anyway, folks, thank you very much for listening. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and rating on your podcast host of choice. You can also follow Oliver, who's usually here, but is away for the next couple of casts, on tabletopgamesblog.com. Uh, our Discord invite will be in the show notes. Do come along there and join in with the conversations there. Share the news you want to hear. Uh, our Twitter is at the Giant Brain, as long as that platform still exists. Uh, our Instagram is GiantBrainUK, and we are now on Threads as well, which is the recently launched sort of oh, are we? Okay. rival uh, and under the same handle, GiantBrainUK, because it goes off Instagram. Uh, our Facebook is GiantBrain, and our website is GiantBrain.co.uk. Email us about anything in the show, or if you'd like to tell us about any news you'd like us to cover, it's GiantBrainUK at gmail.com. We'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.